In our third episode of the second season, Gareth and I take a trip to the Solomon Islands to decipher Ephesians 6 and the armour of God. We get to the middle of the truth about Jesus and his radical message. Of course, there'll be a Simpsons reference and we'll also rub on the lamp to see how wishing with Aladdin's genie compares to prayer. You're listening to the Nothing New Under the Sun podcast. Enjoy. Dane Fuller here for another edition of the Nothing New Under the Sun podcast. We are exploring the neglected middle this season, looking at how we sometimes get caught up in the extremes of life and how the Bible lets us know that those in-between moments, phases, relationships and works are really the stuff of meaningful living. As always, I'm joined by my partner in podcast crime, Mr. Gareth Tyndall. Welcome, Gareth. Thank you, Dane. Great to be here. Good to be stuck in the middle with you. Feeling very much stuck at the moment with all this uh, being at home with coronavirus. We're feeling very housebound, so it seems apt to be able to sit down and and talk online because that's all we can do at the moment, really. Yes, and obviously we didn't plan to be stuck when we chose that theme song. It's just uh, the way it's worked out. Yes. All right, the basis for our neglected middle topic today uh, comes from Ephesians and Paul's directive to take up the armour of God. Uh, this chapter of the New Testament was one of the first I really engaged with and it, it, you know, it really set my journey alight, I think. Um, and, you know, the, the way it came about was probably a little bit unusual as well. I was sitting in a, a church uh, at Gugaha Community School uh, in the Solomon Islands in November of 2017 and um it was my first exposure to the pidgin language um so i wasn't sure wasn't really sure what was going on in the church and i couldn't really understand um what the the pastor was saying um except for the only thing i could really understand was the amazing vocals coming out of the the congregation but Mm. i was flicking through the tattered bible during the sermon and again i don't know why i came across ephesians 6 telling us or telling me uh, to take up the full armour of God, uh, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the boots of peace, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit and the shield of faith. Um, and I immediately kind of thought, you know, why haven't I found this before? Um, and, uh, you know, it's it's just a remarkable passage um, outlining this suit of protection, this defence um, for survival. Um so, and, and again, you know, I thought a lot of my stuff I've done with um, boys and, and rites of passage and all that kind of stuff, and, and I just thought, here's this great almost warrior's calling. Um, and, yeah, I just, it blew me away. So um, the context of those, those words, Gareth, what's Paul trying to tell us here? 
Yeah, it is a great passage, isn't it? Like the the letter to the Ephesians is yeah, it's a a scintillating piece of writing, and it it this little bit about the suit, uh, the armor of God, it comes right at the end uh, of the letter, and it does it does in a way seem to come out of the blue. You know, just beforehand, Paul's been talking about how parents should treat their children and vice versa and slaves and masters. And it's kind of, it's in, you know, a sort of an ethical discourse section of the letter. And then he goes, finally be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength and put on the full armor of God. And then it seems to, it talks about this, a spiritual battle. Um, So, you know, in the, in my reading of it, it seems to be that it comes towards the end of the letter uh, and talks about a spiritual battle because at the beginning of the letter, the letter very much began in the spiritual realms. It's, it's a, it kind of bookends the letter, um, I think. So you have uh, a, a battle here that's not a real physical battle, even though the imagery is all about a real physical warrior of that uh, Roman period, uh, but a battle against spiritual forces. And the, the, the enemy here is, is Satan. He's the power behind all the spiritual evils. And the letter began, you know, with that reference to the spiritual forces. And in chapter three, it talks about uh, the church testifying to the heavenly powers uh, about the authority of of Jesus. Um, and so, you know, I think that's that's helpful for context. That initially we're seeing here about the idea that there's this uh, realm, this spiritual realm, that has been defeated already uh, by Jesus Christ. Uh, but then Paul says, but there's still a battle that goes on. Uh, so there's been a, a victory uh, or that victory has been assured through Jesus. Uh, but chapter one kind of shows us that the, the battle has won, but not yet over. Uh, the results decided, but that final you know, siren hasn't sounded. And so it's a very middle idea here because Paul's talking about what's already been achieved now for the future in Jesus Christ's death and resurrection but he says it's what happens in the middle that goes on now that Christians need to be on guard for. Yeah. Uh, is that in, in terms of the number of souls still left to be saved on the battlefield? In terms of the victory being won, but it's how many people are we going to get through the other side? How many people are going to celebrate in the sheds afterwards? <laughs> Yeah, it's certainly, you know, I think Ephesians especially is a letter where there's a lot of talk about, well, not a lot of talk, but a little bit of talk about um, Christ's victory over death uh, and that changing the, the battlefield, if you like, um, so that people are now, those who are the, the faithful dead uh, are united to Jesus Christ uh, through faith. And so, and those who have faith in Christ now on this earth are also united to him. And so while there might already be a reality for those who have, have passed and who are now united to Christ in death, you know, chapter 1 talks a lot about this being united to Jesus, this union with Christ idea, being in Christ. That's a reality that those who have passed away experience in a spiritual sense now um, in a different realm. Uh, and then those who are left here on earth who are still Christians and who are still uh, living their Christian existence on earth, they're spiritually already united to Jesus as well. And so uh, there is a battle um, for for souls. You know, the devil wants to do everything he can uh, to steer people away from um, finding, the, finding faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, and he'll do everything he can, especially for those who... Um, have claimed Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior to 
attack them. Yeah. All right. Well, let's just go through this this armor of God. I mean, I've mentioned you know the the elements before, Gareth, but uh, it would have been a fairly graphic description for the people reading it at Paul's time, um, given the nature of the Roman Empire and stuff. But what 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 is this armor? Yeah, it, it is. You know, it's it's it, it's important, I think, to be careful with this this metaphor because uh, it's a very detailed description of this armor. You know, it goes through very specific items and ones that that pertain to that period. You know, we you know we wouldn't suit up for battle like this now. Um, it's very it's very contextually relevant. Uh, so there's detail there, but it doesn't mean that we want to press that detail too much. I can I can remember being in uh, in Sunday school as a little kid and having my Sunday school teacher go through all the different items and she drew them on the man on the board and then she said, now what's missing? And then she turned the easel around and she said, look, it didn't mention anything to wear at the back, so just watch your back. That's what this passage is all about. Now I think that that's you know, reading a bit too much into the metaphor there. Um, but it, the, the, I think that the reason why there's so much detail is because actually each of the elements in the armor actually link back to Old Testament prophecies. You know, there's these specific phrases come out of the Old Testament. So uh, the the belt that you've mentioned, the belt of truth, you know, gave Roman soldiers that strength to stand up in battle. Uh, but in Isaiah 11, there's also references to a belt of truth, which gave support to the messenger, the prophet who brings God's word. So, you know, as the forces of... Uh, of evil of the devil kind of are there to pull the believer down, that the belt of truth is there to kind of gird the loins uh, of of the faithful and help them to stand upright. Um, yeah. <clears throat> and then there's that breastplate of righteousness, you know, in again in Isaiah, um, the Lord put is described as putting on this breastplate of righteousness. Um, now that idea, idea doesn't pop up much throughout the rest of Ephesians. So the question, I guess, is whether it's talking about righteousness is in your status before god i am righteous because i have faith in jesus christ you know that that penal substitution idea we've talked about before um but it probably also could have an ethical idea to it as well that you know that we act in a right way uh like god now and then that's how we are protected against the unrighteousness of of the devil um sandals Sandals are good to me. We wouldn't wear sandals in battle now, you know. We, you know, might wear Birkenstocks, I, I suppose. But you know, Isaiah fifty-two, it talks about how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Um, and uh, here, you know, Ephesians two earlier, Paul talked about Christ. Uh, Christ came preaching peace. You know, he, this is walking uh, kind of ministry. Uh, he sort of moves from the edge of Israel into Jerusalem. Uh, and so our feet are meant to be fitted with that readiness to go out and preach the peace of the gospel. Uh, the yeah. shield of faith, the Roman shield, you used to be able to cover the entire body if you crouch behind it uh, and use it to protect yourself from arrows. Uh, God uses the image of a shield lots of times in the Old Testament to be, talk about protecting uh, his people. Yep. Yeah. So there's lots. I mean, and that helmet of salvation, you know, Roman helmets were made of bronze. They were really tough. Again, in Isaiah 59, we're told that that the Lord wears that same salvation helmet. Um, and then there's the sword of the spirit, the word of God. Here, it's interesting that this, this is the only one that's an offensive weapon, the only one we actually use to attack rather than to defend ourselves. Uh, again, in Isaiah 11, the spirit of the Lord rests on 
the Christ, the Messiah figure, who smites with the word. Um, so the enemy and the enemy is destroyed by the word. Uh, so declaring the word of God, that's the only offensive weapon that Christians really have against spiritual forces. So if you leave that behind, the best you can do is hide behind your shield. Uh, you won't make any progress in uh, pr proclaiming the gospel. And, and don't turn your back. Yeah, and don't turn your back. <laughs> All right, so I... I look at these things: the, the righteousness, the the peace, the spirit, the truth, the, the salvation, and the faith. It's a it's a it's a decent package of um, Christian traits um, for mm. us to, to base our defence on. And uh, I think too, it's um, having read this the Screw Tape Letters uh, by C.S. Lewis, you see how those kind of um, elements would be useful against the attacks that Screw Tape's trying to uh, yes. uh, get his nephew to to use. So. Um, that made it make a little bit more sense for me there as well in terms of that that defensive package. Now we're trying to talk about the middle, and I, and I want to look at the um, the element here which I see as the middle, and that is the the belt of truth. You know, as you mentioned before, it's kind of the middle of that armor. It's holding things together, um, and I guess it's where you would put your scabbard for your sword as well. So so the word and the truth are intricately linked in this uh, in this metaphor. Um, and I think that's a really, really important middle, um, you know, or from, from what I see. And it's also not the only place we see the truth placed in the middle um, in terms of following Jesus as the way and the truth and the life. Mm. Um, so, you know, I want to concentrate on the truth, truth here for a second and as most important of those elements. Um, going back to C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity, I think it was, um, and I've, I've read a bit of him lately, so I get mixed up about what's what's coming from where. Um, but he talks about the fundamentals of Jesus's teachings being nothing new exactly. The, 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 maybe saying he was the son of God definitely was new, but what he talked about was not really... Um, well, it was just, it was pretty similar to some of the things Aristotle had said or Confucius. And he said, if the world, the world would be a better place if the teachings of any of those people would have been followed. But the difference was the truth of Jesus as the son of God. And that makes it a radically new message. So it's not just the words that were spoken. It's the truth of him being God's son. And that's the good news or the, the true news, I suppose, in that message, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it, it is true if you think about Jesus' uh, ethical teaching, say, in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, a lot of that is um, it's predicated upon existing teachings, you know, existing teachings that come out of the Old Testament law. Uh, so um, in that way, it, it, it was not radically new. Um, I think that what, what made them radical was that Jesus went beyond them being mere litigious things or mere kind of markers uh but he actually sort of went but they actually cut down to the heart of them and also then made them radically extreme and impossible uh to achieve uh when you think about how he changed the murder law or the adultery law in the ten commandments um and then as you said the reason the thing that makes them really radical uh is that these teachings and these this sort of ethical code you have to live by is something that we are completely unable to do. Uh, it is something that has to be done for us on our behalf. Uh, and yeah. then that's an idea that comes out in Ephesians, you know, that 
Uh, it's not by works that we're saved, um, but by grace. And then there are works that God has prepared beforehand for us to do and to walk in by his grace. Uh, and so that's radically different to, you know, Aristotelian or Confucian thinking where the the, the emphasis is on how we're going to change and how we're going to actually, um, you know, live up to these standards. Rather, the standard's been set and achieved for us on our behalf. Um, and and that comes down to Jesus being, as you said, the way, the truth, and the life. Um, and I think that that middle idea is certainly something that's apparent throughout all of Ephesians, not just in this little unit here in chapter 6, uh, to do with this battle. Um, Paul in Ephesians especially has a very, he paints a, a different kind of cosmology to how I guess we would usually think about heaven and earth. We usually think about them just those two things, that there's the earth and then somewhere else there's the heaven. Yet there was this existing idea, I guess, a murky middle uh, that Paul talks about between heaven and earth and kind of an overlap of uh, the realms. And this is where the devil operates. Um, it's not a coincidence that Paul chooses in Ephesians to call the devil the prince of the air. You know, he's that's where the evil spirits kind of are at work in that murky, misty shadows in the middle. And what does Satan do in that middle realm? Well, he lies, doesn't he? He's called the Satan. He's our adversary. He's against us. He's against the truth. He twists and changes the truth. He's been doing it since Eden. Uh, and that's part of the reason why Jesus was, when he was crucified, was exalted up into the air uh, on the cross because he kind of neutralized or cleansed that air with his righteous atoning sacrifice. He hung up on the cross as the son of God and expose the lies of the devil uh, in this middle place. Satan's not the sovereign ruler in that place. Uh, he is under Christ's authority as well. Christ rules the air, he rules the earth, the heavens, the cosmos, everything. Uh, and so his victory over death kind of cements that truth. Uh, and so mm -hmm. truth is central to that middle realm. Um, so I think, you know, it, when we think about the the spiritual realm and being on battle uh, like Paul calls us to do here, this passage is really helpful because um, it emphasises to us that the battle's been won but we still need to fight till that battle's end. Um, and all these attributes of the armoury of God, as I've kind of said before, they're all things that are either directly related to God in the Old Testament or come from God's messenger. Uh, and I think that's again, strengthens that union idea that we're really united to God and to Christ uh, in this battle. Um, but, you know, you you talked about earlier, you said this would be a great passage to use with young men and to talk to them about the, their strength. Uh, and yet most of Ephesians is not about my own individual faith. It's about the church. You know, it's about this, what back then was a ridiculously uh, radical idea that you had Jew and Gentile as one. That's the main, arc, main thing talked about here and so you have to think about well what happens if the church as a whole puts off that belt of truth uh, that's a very worrying thing to think about too yeah well again I, again i see it as as central and i don't think it's by by an accident that yeah the the belt that holds the sword but the spirit and the truth are both linked there in the middle um as 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 crucial now i want to just pick your brain a little bit about prayer here, Gareth, um, and using that truth 
um, well, that middle truth in prayer. Um, and I suppose it's it's been prompted a little bit by some of the things that you see on social media and that during this coronavirus where, you know, people say, well, why doesn't God just stop it? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it got me, me thinking that um, God's not the genie from Aladdin. And uh, <laughs> he's not this, you know, you ain't never had a friend like me who's going to grant you your every wish and every desire. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that is because we don't really know what we want. Um, <laughs> and that's why, you know, there's those prayers that just uh, are not really answered. Um, and I'm not mm-hmm. saying that people don't not want coronavirus. I'm not going there. But just the nature mm-hmm. of prayer, I think, um, needs to be based on on the truth of what we need rather than what we think we, we want at any any given moment. Um, and, it, you know, if, if we look at something like Matthew 7 with the ask, seek and knock, that shouldn't be read as, well, I, I want this, so I'm going to ask for it and I'll get it. It's you've got to really dig down into the truth of what, you, what you're actually after as, as a person, mm. but also as a society. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in that passage too, it's it's the persistence in prayer that's important too. And one of the things that happens when you are persistent in prayer and you are persistently asking, you know, God, you know, this is what I want and we can, if we treat it like, well, the more I pray, the more I'll twist God's arm uh, and get him to do what I want, really what we should be aiming to do is the more I pray, the more I should want to become attuned to God's will. Uh, and not my own desires. Um, you know, there's, there's the lots more of our arms twisted, maybe. Say that again. The more our arm gets twisted by God. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah, we get our will gets twisted to to God's. And 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 you know, and there's lots of those passages where Jesus says things like, you know, um, I'll do whatever you ask in my name. Uh, and so then we can kind of begin to think, well, if I just use Jesus like some kind of incantation, you know, I in Jesus' name I say end this COVID-19 crisis and then we doesn't happen and we get disappointed, I think we lose the message about or the meaning behind asking for something in God's name. Uh, it means to, uh, to if you ask something in God's name, it means you understand the weightiness of that name and the importance of it. And we understand that it means to uh, say, if I'm using God's name, I'm using God's name in an appropriate way, a way that is fitting with who he is and how he operates and what he does. And so it's not just, uh, you know, uh, a little code word that we use. Um, it's about praying praying and asking things that in a way where our spirit is attuned to what God wants. Uh, and I think that brings us closer to the truth of what God wants. Yeah, it's not Homer Simpson being chased by a rhino and saying, Jesus, Buddha, Muhammad, I love you all. Trying to get <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't have a bet each way. No. no. Just thought I'd put that Simpson reference in in there. Now, one more thing um, about the truth um, that mm. I'd like to, again, just, just question you about. Um, when people aren't truthful to us, um, mm. and I guess it, it, this leads us to another middle way. So, um I think as a, as a person, and, ma- and particularly when you're younger, you, you're probably a little bit naive about the world and you take people's words as face value 
um, and mm -hmm. some when they're older too, um, until someone lies to you or you feel like you've been betrayed, and then you are you're a little bit wary about what people tell you. Um, and if it happens enough, I imagine that you get some level of cynicism, and some people might have been lied to so often that they're quite cynical about trusting anyone again. Um, but I think there's a there's a middle way in between where to be fully human, you must continue to trust people. You must continue to think that people are telling you the truth um, and knowing that you could be lied to, but you've still got to have that trust. And that's probably a better way to live. We don't want to be naive. We don't want to be cynical, but we also want to make sure we... We um we continue to give people the benefit of the doubt, I suppose. Yeah, it's it's yeah it it, it means I think as as Christians you become a, a acutely aware of the reality of our of our anthropology of what we're like as what human nature is really like, um, and human nature at its core is corrupted, um, and so it's you know if you've ever used a corrupted piece of you know a computer or something like that sometimes it'll do what it's supposed to do and other times it glitches and it does the wrong thing um and the inconsistency of it is sometimes what's the most frustrating and vexing part uh and you know the the default orientation of the human heart is selfishness it's to look inwards and not outwards um and there are many different things that can prompt that human heart to look outwards uh towards other people and it can be that can be inconsistent um, and so people are going to disappoint us and betray us, um, and we're going to do the same. You know, uh, even when we're Christians, uh, we, we, while we have the, the Holy Spirit uh, indwelling in us, we still it still indwells a body that is part of this fallen world, and so we're susceptible to uh, you know the temptations of sinfulness. And so we're going to experience betrayal. We're going to betray other people. We're going to be dishonest with one another. Um, and I think that when we actually, as Christians, really understand the reality of who, who humans are, that should fill us with compassion for other people uh, because other people are um, trapped or blinded. Uh, if they're not Christians, they're blinded by their sinfulness. Um, and so that should breed a compassion um, in us for them, which means not so much that we are always going to trust people, but, but it probably means that we, at the very least, we're always going to reach out to people. Uh, we're always going to try and offer uh, relationship and reconciliation. You know, if you if I reflect on Matthew 18, where Jesus is talking about uh, having a divisive brother or sister, um, and you try and you point out their their sinfulness and their fault, perhaps it's dishonesty. Uh, just between the two of you, Jesus says to do it. If they listen to you, and you've won them over. That's great. And then he talks about take, if they don't listen to you, you, get another couple of witnesses to hear to hear the conversation out. If that doesn't work, take it to the church. And if that doesn't work, Jesus says, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Now, often we read that passage and go, right, well, you give people a few chances and then if they let you down three times, well, you cut them off. Um, but when Jesus says treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector, you have to think about how Jesus treated the pagans and the tax collectors. And his response was sit down and eat with them. Have meal, have a meal with them, try and you know, explain to them the reality of who he was and share his love with them. It means you reach out with the gospel to people uh, who are, who have wronged you, 
Uh, and that's always been the bedrock of Christian existence to, to love your enemies. Um, so I think that's really important that it, it is, don't want to be naive uh, about what people are like, um, but when you know what people are like, that should actually drive you to to love them all the more rather than to be um, averse to them. And that's the message of Jesus on the cross, isn't it, that we are sinful. He's, he's wrapped all our sin up and taken it on board because he knows that we can't help ourselves. Um, so right. open our hearts, don't harden our hearts when we've been in when we've been mis mistreated or we think we've been mistreated. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah. And I think that that's, you know, the if we uh if we let ourselves become embittered by um the sinfulness of others, uh, then we have to have to really question whether we've understood exactly the grace that's been shown to us in Jesus Christ, because no one has ever um, offended us more than we've offended God. Uh, no one has um, needed more forgiveness from us than we've needed from God. Uh, and so people's sinfulness should just remind us uh, of the opportunity to be thankful for the grace that is, is on offer in Jesus Christ. Yeah. All right. Well, we might leave it there, Gareth. Hopefully... The sound quality has been okay here. We've uh, recorded this on a Google Meet. Um, yeah. About 40 kilometres apart in rainy weather, so hopefully everything's come through okay. I've certainly heard you loud and clear, so the recording hopefully is, uh, has gone the same way. Um, so thanks for joining us again. That was episode three. Um, probably we're in the middle of our series, I think now, so uh, probably two or three more to go. And we'll finish this season on the middle. So thanks for listening. Thanks very much for joining me, Gareth. Thank you, Dane. See you later. See ya. <laughs>